0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the series on Mormonism for the New Books Network. I'm your host, Daniel Stone, and I am thrilled to have this guest on the show. It's Dr. Scott C. Esplin, and he is a professor of religious education at Brigham Young University, and he has published this fantastic, and i was going to say it again, a fantastic new book called Return to the City of Joseph, Modern Mormonism's Contest for the Soul of Nauvoo. And I'm just so thrilled to have Scott on because I got to say, this book is interesting because oftentimes within Mormon studies, you're focusing on early Mormonism or Mormonism in the late 19th century or the early 20th century. Scott deals with a topic that is diving directly into mid 20th century, later 20th century, early 20th century. It covers a whole range of topics. And it's not just the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. He's dealing with other modern Mormonisms like the Community of Christ. And it's about the city of Nauvoo. It's just a fantastic book. It has a lot to do with American history in general. So, Scott, thank you so much for being on. Really appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you, Daniel. I look forward to visiting with you. I appreciate you highlighting my book.
0: Oh, thank you. It's it was wonderful. I just I just can't praise it enough. It's fantastic. Oh, well, you're fine. So, it was a well, fun project. Thanks. Yeah, it, it, that's another thing. That's why I want to pick your brain about. It really did seem like a fun research project, and I'm sure you probably went out there several times to do this research, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. But before we get into that, can you just tell the public a little bit about yourself? Like, where do you teach? Where did you earn your PhD, et cetera? Sure.
1: Uh, I uh, teach at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. I'm a professor of church history and doctrine in religious education uh, at Brigham Young University. I earned my PhD also at Brigham Young University in educational history. Um, it was a degree called educational leadership and foundations, where I focused on educational history. I did a study of late nineteenth and early twentieth century Latter Day Saint education practices, and uh, did my masters and PhDs at Brigham Young University and an undergraduate degree in Southern Utah in Southern Utah University in Cedar City, uh, Cedar City, Utah. Uh, so I, I teach there, at BYU. I've been there since. Two thousand six, I believe, and uh, and just love it there. I teach classes in religious education, church history, Latter Day Saint scripture, and uh, and and I'm lucky enough to be able to research on the side.
0: Oh, awesome! So, how did you get interested in the history of Nauvoo? Like, how did this project get started?
1: Okay, I uh, I grew up in the Midwest. Uh, I lived from my late elementary, junior high, and first several years of high school um, in Ohio. And so I grew up about two my- two hours from Kirtland, Ohio, which for those who are unfamiliar with uh, Latter-day Saint history and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, Kirtland, Ohio was the headquarters of our faith uh, it, for uh, approximately seven years, uh, from 1831 to 1838. Uh, and uh it, uh, it uh, is an important uh, location in our history. It was the site of the first uh, Latter-day Saint temple and, uh, and just a prominent location for a number of important events in our founding uh, story. And so I grew up two hours away from Kirtland and, uh, and went there numerous times with my family, with, uh, with youth groups, church groups, and others, um, touring the, the sites that are part of our historic uh, tradition. And then uh, living in the Midwest, but having family uh, in in Utah, uh, we frequently crisscrossed the country uh, as a family. My my father was a religious educator for our for our church, and and uh, so as we would travel across the country to visit uh, family in the West, we would stop at Latter Day Saint uh, historic sites. And, and so, as a boy, I went to Nauvoo, Illinois, uh, which is also, for those unfamiliar with our faith, a uh, a um, A prominent uh, site in our in our restoration history. Um, Following our period in Ohio, uh, the church headquarters relocated briefly to Missouri, and then eventually to Illinois uh, from 1839 until 1846. And uh, it is in Illinois, in Nauvoo, Illinois, where our our faith's founder Joseph Smith uh, was killed, or killed in a neighboring town uh, called Carthage, Illinois, and where he's buried in Nauvoo. And, uh, and so I, as a boy, uh, as a teenager, went to all of these sites and, and fell in love with them. I, I, it's where I think I decided I wanted to be a, a historian, where I decided I wanted to be a teacher of our history and a researcher of our history. So I, I grew up loving these places, uh, going to these places, and then was lucky enough to be able to make it a profession and, uh, and teach and research about these places So I I guess my love for the sites and and Nauvoo goes back to some of my earliest memories are in uh, in Nauvoo, Illinois. Um, But uh, how the immediate project came about, I was a brand new faculty member in 2006 at Brigham Young University. And uh, I had a colleague, uh, we had a a faculty member who had taken a leave of absence uh, for a year or two on behalf of our faith. Uh, to go out and and, uh, work in Nauvoo, Illinois as a public affairs director, a public affairs official, as they were reconstructing the the famous Nauvoo Temple. Uh, The Nauvoo Temple was rebuilt uh, in uh, in Nauvoo, Illinois from 1999 to 2002. And uh, he was asked by our church to go back and, and assist with public affairs, relationships with the community, with other faith traditions in the area, while the temple was being rebuilt. And after that was done, he came back to our faculty and, and, uh, and then uh, RJ Snow was his name. And uh, he was tragically k- uh, killed in a car accident or died from some injuries uh, subsequent to a car accident. And uh, we lost RJ and, and he was a, uh, uh, he, he had just begun a project telling the story of faith relations and the rebuild of Nauvoo. And uh, I was a brand new faculty member and had some training and background in, in 20th century education or 20th century Latter-day Saint history. And so uh, his widow approached our college and approached our Dean and, and they approached me and asked if I would be willing to, to pick up the project. And and so that began a, a a more formal study of these sites that I had grown up loving and uh, a project emerged from there for more than 10 years, uh, returning to Nauvoo, going to archives all across the country, interviewing participants uh, just uh, falling in love with and learning more about the story of the restoration of Nauvoo and and really its impact on on uh, local uh, on, on the local community uh, interactions with other faiths. It started out being just a history of the of the restoration project, and it grew into much more than that. It, it grew into a social history of uh, of Nauvoo across the twentieth century.
0: Wow that's a great story i mean it's tragic but it's great to know that you picked it up and that you did something so great with it so
1: well and rj, RJ was a good friend he was a somewhat of a mentor during my doctoral studies he had uh, he'd had some influence in educational history and and uh, he was just a, a kind gentle soul and and uh, when, when they asked if someone would take it on his behalf i was happy to do it he's
0: he was a good yeah good person Well, you know, I I find I often find that that's what often makes books so good. It's when they're not just academic projects; they're personal passion projects. And for you, especially, it's it had a very personal connection to it. So it definitely it definitely shows in the book the passion for it. So that's that's wonderful.
1: It it eventually became a family project. I uh, I, because I spent so much time in Nauvoo, uh, um, I I eventually was able to incorporate my family in that. So it, it started. Uh, let me think i think it even started before we had any children my wife and i were newly married and and uh i, I i've we now have four children and our oldest is is uh 12 and and they've grown up uh, with me on this project they've i've taken each of them back to nauvoo our family's gone back to nauvoo and uh they've experienced things at the sites they've fallen in love with the place I, I joke for those that have been to Nauvoo, uh, it's a, it's a recreated 19th century, uh, frontier town. Uh, and it, and it, so it has kind of costumed participants, costumed actors or, or, or interpreters, uh, explaining various sites, uh, life in a, in a religious 19th century frontier, religious river town. And and there are certainly sites that are, are, are definitely religiously oriented. Uh, but there's others that are, are more, um, 19th century life and, and so there's a there's a, a a shop where you learn learn how to make bricks and there's a shop where you learn how to a bakery and and a and a, a blacksmith shop and a, and a period schoolhouse, and i've joked i've been to nauvoo so many times uh when you go to the brick making place they give you a souvenir brick i think i've been enough times that i'm going to make my children a a a playhouse out of nauvoo souvenir brick <laughs> and they, just, they love the place they they each have a pioneer bonnet or a coonskin cap or something that's a little costume thing from one of the souvenir shops in town. And, and they're happy to go back. They, they like it there. And, and we, uh, in some ways, it was more than just a personal project. It became a familial project. And, and so my, my children, uh, love the place and, and, uh, and it, it's been great to share that with them because that's in the end, in, in, that's what got me started in the beginning was my parents sharing uh the sites they loved the, the places important to their faith and uh, and it sparked something in me that made me want to become a teacher and a researcher of those things and 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 maybe my own children are falling in love with now sites that are important to to our faith history.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. That's very cool. Yeah, and just to to attest of how beautiful Nauvoo is, I've been there several times. It is everything you're saying. I can personally attest to. It is a beautiful city, and just the cover of your book it's it's one of the best covers for a book I've ever seen. It is beautiful. It's this like pink sky in the background. It's just overlooking the Nauvoo Temple and the Mississippi River. It kind of really captures what the what the city kind of looks like. You know, as as you know, a, a as a like you know dusk approaches. So really, really interesting. It's 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 a really interesting book.
1: Yeah, that that was all the doing of the press. Uh, University of Illinois Press is the publisher, and uh, they, they were great to work with. I, I can't say enough good about Dawn Durante and and her team and others that uh, the University of Illinois Press who 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 helped improve the project, improved my writing, improved my research, and and produced a stunning book.
0: Very cool. So Scott, you've touched on it a little bit, but I guess wanted for for listeners who maybe aren't so familiar with Nauvoo, why is Nauvoo an important topic for twentieth century Mormon history in general? Sure.
1: Well, uh, it was the the final city of our fa- of our faith's founder Joseph Smith. So, uh, and and a number of the important teachings and doctrines and foundational elements of our faith emerged during this time period. So our our faith, for those unfamiliar with it, uh, was formed in, in uh, Western New York. Uh, the church movement was started in, in April of 1830 in Western New York, and progressed uh, through a variety of communities uh, into Ohio and then and Missouri, and eventually Illinois, uh, where it was headquartered in in this, in this uh, river town uh, on the bend of the Mississippi River, uh, on the bend of the Mississippi River uh, in Western Illinois. Uh, about an hour's drive north of modern-day Quincy today, and uh, the faith was headquartered there for for six or seven very important but also turbulent years. Uh, Nauvoo was uh, was uh, a time of great a, a great uh, growth and development for our, our faith founder, for uh, the church members generally. Um, it was a, a a time of great flowering of, of doctrinal teachings and expansion and exploration and development of of theological practices and, and, and ideas. Uh, but it was also a time of great controversy. Uh, it was an era in which conflict emerged. And and so that's what I came back to in the title for the book. Um, Nauvoo was, was a, a time of great excitement, but also a time of, of contestation. Uh, people were fighting over ideas, fighting over, or, or future of the faith. And, and, and there was, pushback against this growing movement Uh, during the the 1840s era nauvoo uh, was a a major uh, city in illinois one of the largest in the state uh, some say rivaling nearly the size of chicago at the time and uh, and yet today it's a it's a map dot it's it's a small uh, city of less than a thousand people on uh, in rural uh, western new york or western illinois sorry but uh, but for six or seven years, it was the center of our faith, and and of course, as I mentioned, our, our faith's founder was killed in a in a in a in a, by a mob that attacked him while he was under a under arrest, awaiting trial for a, for an episode that had happened in the city, and uh, and that fractured our faith, certainly shocked our members, and uh, and so in some ways, it seared in the hearts and, and minds of latter-day saints a fascination with nauvoo um I, I think i i teaching my students on campus i i try to point out to them that many of the things that that the church practiced and and developed in this critical nauvoo era are still practiced today on a much larger scale and, uh, mm-hmm. and so the faith moved uh, or at least after uh, the death of, the, of joseph smith um some of the church members uh, moved to different places. So there was, as you know better than anyone, Daniel, uh, there was a fracturing of, of the movement. And, uh, and some went, uh, some went as, as I think your faith tradition has, uh, to the Pennsylvania area uh, near Pittsburgh. Um, my side of the faith tradition uh, followed a man by the name of Brigham Young, who is the namesake for my university. Um, west to Utah to uh, to settle Salt Lake City and, and the Rocky Mountains. Uh, another group, uh, an important one in my story, uh, remained generally in the area. Uh, the uh, widow of Joseph Smith, um, uh, his widow, Emma Smith, and their children uh, remained behind in Nauvoo. And uh, their son, their oldest uh, surviving son, uh, Joseph Smith III, uh, helped form the, the uh, Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and now known as the Community of Christ, uh, in 1860, and, uh, and and lived in Nauvoo uh, for for many years as the faith's leader. So uh, so there was a, di- a dispersion away from Nauvoo generally by Latter-day Saints, though some stayed behind. But I don't think anyone ever left the city behind. In, in their minds, certainly in my tradition out here in the West, in Utah, uh, people were still fascinated with Nauvoo and, and longed to return. Uh, there's a whole series of statements across the remainder of the 19th century. Uh, church leaders who, who predicted, described, hoped for, longed, wished uh, for a time when the church could return to Nauvoo, and and so for the church generally, this is an important place because of some of the doctrinal developments that occurred there. Certainly important because it's the the site of the the burial place of our our faith's founder, and uh, was the location of of our second temple, um, and and. Are arguably one of our most important temples. Uh, temples are an important theological element of our faith, and and uh, there was a massive temple built in in Nauvoo uh, during the Joseph Smith era, and and so a longing for that building, a longing for its 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 importance, a longing for our faith founder, a longing for a, a quieter, happier time. Um, all of those things caused people to remember Nauvoo. Even though in in many cases we were hundreds, if not thousands, of miles away, and uh, and and so this book is the story of of that return across the 20th century, and uh, and how the faith, uh, in some ways, at least the Utah-based branch of that faith, fulfilled its longings to go back to Nauvoo.
0: Wow, yeah, and you know that leads to my next question. This is really fascinating stuff, Scott. So. In your book, you talk a lot about it, and I just want, thought for the listeners, if you could explain a little bit, why did the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints become more interested in preserving, you know, its heritage of Nauvoo in the 20th century? Because, like you said, they had moved out west, they took, you know, the heritage of the of the theology, and I mean, and like you said, you could argue, you could really argue that modern Mormonism really developed in Nauvoo, so they carried it with them, but they wanted to go back to the actual site. Why did that happen and what basically moved them to do that?
1: Sure. I'm happy to, happy to address that. Uh, and, and I think I should be clear. Um, I, I, and, and you worded it so well. Uh, I think it is especially the Utah based branch of the church. As I mentioned, there's multiple, um, uh, schisms of this, of this tradition of this faith tradition. It's probably the Utah branch that, that, um, was most closely aligned with, with some of the Nauvoo era teachings. Uh, But that Utah church, uh, the, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as, as we're called, um, headquartered in Salt Lake city, um, wasn't in a position to, to do anything with, or develop, or even acquire, or even develop historic sites across the 19th century. Um, In our history, uh, coming here to Utah, and then there, there was a whole host of things uh, that caused tension, uh, largely with the uh, the American government and 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 the greater American people over some of our controversial Nauvoo teachings and practices. And and so throughout the 19th century there was um uh, alienation contest a conflict over this Latter-day Saint movement. And uh and so we weren't in a position to come to the Midwest, we weren't in a position to do anything about about uh, Uh, any of these sites, we were simply uh, fighting for our survival. Um, Much of that was put to bed in the early 20th century. So in the early 20th century, there was a a, a thawing of relations. Um, Latter-day Saints, uh, the Utah-based group, um, wanted to insert themselves into into a more positive way into the the American narrative. And so we we looked for ways to engage. Uh, We uh, became uh, actively uh, actively involved in in some of the nation's most important events, uh, serving in 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 on behalf of the country in armed conflicts, uh, involving ourselves politically, uh, involving ourselves economically, um, uh, involving ourselves educationally. So in the early 20th century, Latter-day Saints reversed course, and instead of retreating to the mountains by way of refuge and and uh, they, they, they sought to extend themselves beyond the Rocky mountains, uh, back into the American narrative. And, uh, and at the same time, I, I think the, uh, this is especially now moving into the, into the mid to later part of the 20th century. Um, I think the American narrative, uh, the American, those who shape, uh, the American narrative were more willing to embrace the Latter-day Saints story. Um, and, and I get into that in the book a little bit, but, uh, in the 1960s and 1970s, uh, the National Park Service was interestingly involved in, in the restoration of Nauvoo. Uh, they saw in the Latter Day Saints story uh, a, a, a an example of westward expansion, an example hmm. of a, a a group who helped shape and form uh, the 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 expansion of, of the we- expansion of the country west and. And so they, in some ways, held up the Latter-day Saints as this role model. during a time period of of anti-Vietnam protests and counterculture movements and, and kind of um, unrest and uneasiness nationwide, um, the National Park Service looked for stories they could tell that would champion a a simpler, happier time. And so they mm-hmm. found the Latter-day saints. and uh, And so this is a time period when Latter-day Saints become involved politically. Uh, we have uh, George Romney, who ran for president of the United States. Uh, we had uh, um, Willard Marriott, who who was founding the Marriott hotel chain. Uh, David Kennedy, who served as secretary of the treasury. Uh, Ezra, Ezra Benson, Ezra Taft Benson, who served in, in Eisenhower, secretary of the agriculture. So in a number of these, those first three that I mentioned are actually all on, involved actively in the restoration of Nauvoo. So it became an important American story. The National Park Service got involved. But, but we, as a church, got, most, got, got involved starting in the early 20th century. We reversed this course and decided we were going to start acquiring sites. And, and interestingly, the first building, historic building the church purchased from its earlier era was the Carthage Jail. Now, the Carthage Jail was purchased in 1905 by our faith. And it was, it was the scene of Joseph Smith's death. And uh, it was acquired, and then quickly thereafter, they acquired other properties. Uh, in, in for those who know our Latter Day Saint history, in places like Palmyra, Kirtland, uh, Liberty, Missouri, uh, Independence, Missouri, and and other places. And uh, and so during the nineteen teens, nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties, and and forties, um, they started acquiring properties. And uh, and then our faith is a is a uh, well known for its proselytizing efforts for our, our missionaries and their um, their uh, their efforts to to share our message with others and uh, and so we position we placed often missionaries or guides at each of these sites hoping they could be used as a as a way to introduce the faith uh, to people who were uh, looking for stories of american history looking for regional stories of, of their areas and so that that kind of gets us into the the 1950s, 1960s. Um, the church saw these sites as a way to engage in in Americans, largely who are uh, traveling the country. So after the end of World War II and, and, and the, the boom that, that occurred with with the growth of the highway, the federal highway system, and and um, the development of the Great American vacation and, and the pastime of of making a summer trip somewhere, um, these sites just boomed, uh, because people were looking for places to go and places where they could drive to and see and experience. And, and, uh, and so you had the national park service who was encouraging the development of Nauvoo. They brought in individuals who have some expertise as hotel developers or, or business entrepreneurs. And, um, it just all came together in the sixties and seventies to become, uh, a, a major, uh, project, uh, really for the nation. Uh, it was patterned after, um, colonial Williamsburg, which was developed at the same time period. Um, colonial Williamsburg was developed, uh, uh during this era to celebrate American greatness and, and, and the, uh, the founding of the country. And, and that was a, certainly an 18th century story. And, uh, and Nauvoo was one that was chosen or tried to to hold up as a, as a 19th century repeat of Williamsburg story.
0: Oh, awesome. Yeah. That was something I found interesting in the book as well, because the first time I had gone to Nauvoo, that was the first thought that came to me was like, this is like colonial Williamsburg for the 19th century, you know, <laughs> Westward expansion. It's really, or in, even in my area. So I'm in the Detroit area. We have this, uh, it's 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 uh it was founded by henry ford it's called greenfield village and it you know it's got a lot of historic village you know historic buildings and it again it reminds me very similar of of historic nauvoo and what the church has done to preserve it and it's 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 wonderful
1: and i i would assume that village was probably built in the same time period this was an era in which these things were flourishing uh, across the country and 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 they were cross pollinating each other so in Mm -hmm. nauvoo uh uh, again, originally, it, it, while it was purchased by some private individuals and then and, and actively involved by the church, um, not everyone who was restoring or helping with rebuilding Nauvoo was was a member of our faith. Uh, they brought in on the board, uh, the chief architect from Colonial Williamsburg. Uh, they brought in other individuals who were actively involved in the Williamsburg project. And, and it was a, an, an attempt to, to try to kind of cross-pollinate uh, these projects and and certainly, Williamsburg was was the uh, was the prototype for many of these. It's it's founded uh, by the Rockefeller family, and 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 has certainly a, a massive financial backing there. But uh, but Nauvoo, and I, and I think other places like like the one near you, uh, were uh, were patterned after Williamsburg. there's there's more to be researched there on uh, on the role Williamsburg has played in in shaping. Uh, religious tourism or, or heritage tourism or, or, uh, historic villages, um, that, that the Rockefeller legacy, uh, there is, is an important one.
0: Very cool. So another, another part of the book, I really enjoyed reading is there, you know, you, you, you really have made the a very good argument. Why Nauvoo is not only important for Mormon history, but American history in general, but there's this tension in Nauvoo when the church comes in, and what your book so beautifully brings out, and they have this tension with another group that you had talked about called the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, or now what is referred to as the Community of Christ, since they changed their name. And you said, like you said, they had they were already, they already had a foothold in Nauvoo. So when when Brigham Young you know leads the Saints west from Nauvoo to Salt Lake City. You have a uh, a cohort of, of of people, like you said, uh, Joseph Smith's wife and some members of his family. They stay back in Nauvoo in that area, and then that kind of starts the reorganized church. So when the LD or when when the LDS or the Utah Church returns back to Nauvoo and kind of starts to you know embrace this heritage, there's a tension there that your book really highlights. And I thought, if you don't mind, could you talk to talk to us a little bit about that? Sure.
1: Um, And and, and one thing I can say now is, uh, uh, one one thing I should say is, uh, I'm grateful that tension is largely gone. Uh, For a visitor of Nauvoo today, um, I I think uh, the two groups, the two prominent groups that are there of the restoration of the Latter-day Saint movement, uh, get along fabulously. Um, They they share, they coordinate very well in activities, they participate well with each other. um, But that certainly wasn't always the case. So as you mentioned, uh, the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uh, was formed in, in the Midwest in 1860 by uh, Joseph Smith's son and, uh, and his widow and others who remained behind and didn't, didn't relocate west with the Brigham Young movement. And, uh, and, and they retained ownership of some of the most important properties in Nauvoo. So uh, the the Smith family properties themselves. So they owned uh, what's called today the homestead, the Joseph Smith Homestead. Uh, they owned the uh, the mansion house. Uh, they owned what was but called by them then the Riverside Mansion, a project that was started in Joseph Smith's era known as the the Nauvoo House. And then and then importantly, they also owned uh, or they own uh, the, the burial site, the Smith Family Cemetery. So as the, the Utah-based church uh, returns in the early 20th century, they try to gobble up whatever other properties exist. Um, some of the first properties they buy in Nauvoo are, are the lots where the Nauvoo Temple had once stood. The Nauvoo Temple uh, was uh, originally uh, constructed in Nauvoo, but, but destroyed by an arsonist and then uh, later leveled by a tornado. And, uh, and so the building no longer remained. But the, commun- the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from Utah, uh, quickly acquired the temple lot itself starting in the 1930s. And, uh, and so they acquired the, the, the ground where the temple had stood. And then a number of the surviving uh, buildings, for those who have been to Nauvoo, they're familiar with this area that's called the Flats down near the river. And uh, they acquire uh, prominent home, homes that are from prominent church members, the Brigham Young home, uh, the John Taylor home the Wilford Woodruff Hall. These are early Latter-day Saint church presidents, Um, other buildings, structures that survived uh, a building that was originally called the, uh, uh, the Masonic Hall or Masonic Lodge now known as the cultural hall. They acquired that one and and a number of other buildings, anything that was basically standing and for sale. And, uh, and that uh, understandably ruffled feathers. Uh, The, the community of Christ and the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Uh, had a a tenuous relationship in the first half of the 20th century. Uh, And I I kind of compare it to uh, maybe siblings in a family, Uh, siblings in a family that might not get along so well during their teenage years. Um, They're both trying to feel their place in the world, find their place in the world and feel their way through um, growing pains. And, uh, and, And so like a family sometimes has tension, uh, during those era ages, and then maybe as adults, children get along or, or siblings get along better than they may have ever gotten along as teenagers. I think some of the same things occurred with these two faith traditions. So there was certainly historical tension uh, over our differing practices, our differing views on on who should lead the movement, who should who is the successor to Joseph Smith, and and all of that. Um played its way out in Nauvoo in, in, during this restoration project. So the Latter-day Saints from Utah come back, acquire the temple, start to spread rumors, or, or it starts to be rumored that, that they're going to rebuild the temple, that they're going to return in a major way. And the Smith family properties, who were owned by the reorganized church, um, certainly felt differently. They felt like they were the, the heirs to the legacy of Joseph Smith and, uh, and to the memory of Nauvoo. And, and they had been there all of the years in between. And and so tensions emerged in the fifties and sixties, largely over the acquisition of properties. It, it became almost a, a a bidding war in Nauvoo, um, and and one faith would try to purchase a lot and block the other, and and it, it just uh, it, it really escalated in the sixties and seventies. Uh, almost a, a time period of, I joke in the book, it's almost a, anything you can do, we can build better uh, mm-hmm. experience and. And uh, one faith builds a a, a million dollar visitor center and the other faith builds one as well. And one faith restores four or five homes and another faith re and the other faith rebuilds Joseph Smith's red brick store. And, and uh, it was just a, a back and forth in the sixties, seventies and eighties over the memory of Joseph Smith and and the memory of the movement and and who would dominate in Nauvoo. And, and, And so there was, Fi- not fighting, but but there was certain tension over over acquisition of properties and interpretation, and and in 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 in, in heritage studies and in history to a certain degree, um, the the person who controls the narrative um, can control the interpretation, and mm-hmm. both sides wanted to control the narrative, and uh, and, and gratefully that's largely gone now. Um, in the 1980s, late 80s, early 90s, uh, there was almost a pause placed on on reconstruction projects, and 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 at the same time, I think both faiths had had grown up. They had both became comfortable with who they were and the and the directions they were going, and uh, and that allowed for some some thawing of tensions, some f- uh, improvement of feelings. Uh, this was led by church leaders at, on both sides. Who uh, who started the sharing of documents, the sharing of important historical artifacts and documents, uh, and then eventually the sharing of sites uh, in in Nauvoo. We we are right on top of each other. There's you know because you've been there. There's a you really don't even know when you've moved from Community of Christ properties into Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saint properties. It's a it's a seamless transition, and mm-hmm. and, I, and I love that. I, I love that they don't have fences. Uh, there were times when there was discussion of fences. There were, there certainly are rival. There were rival billboards and rival interpretations, and and lots of stories of of guides, probably on both sides, uh, taking jabs at each other, and uh, and and trying to win visitors to their view and their interpretation. And and I, I, as I visit the sites today, I don't see any of that. Um, I, I think guides from both sides are are respectful of each other. Uh, certainly, the leaders uh, on the ground at both sites are are respectful of each other, and the church leaders are, are respectful of each other. Uh, they get along really well, and uh, and that's been that's been great to see, uh, because it it wasn't always that way in the twentieth century.
0: Oh wow, yeah, your book I'm hoping is turned eventually into a documentary or something. It's got movie making material all in it: the tension and the reconciliation. It's just a great story. Right. So. But not only that, not only with the tension with the two churches, but um, you, you had mentioned also the, there's Navu locals that aren't Latter Day Saints, yeah. and probably, there's
1: probably the majority of Nauvoo in the 20th century. It really isn't Latter Day Saint.
0: Yeah, very cool. So, so what if you don't mind talking a little bit about that? You know, you throw them into the mix, and how does how does that story play out with them?
1: Yeah. Well, what happened was uh, when when the city was largely vacated of its Latter-day Saint uh, membership in, in the mid-1840s. The Smith family stayed behind, but there you're only talking a handful. You're talking Emma and, and her children, just this very, very small number. And you had all of these uh, – the city itself was between 10 and 15,000 people in the, in the surrounding community, surrounding area as well. And, and so you had lots of vacant homes, uh, developed farms – uh, this stately temple on a hill that was just left vacant, and, uh, and 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 understandably in a growing America, that wasn't going to stay that way. So throughout the the latter half of the 19th century, um, several different groups occupied Nauvoo. First, there was a an interesting one, a French uh, communal society known as the Icarians. Uh, they heard about these vacant homes, the temple, and others. Uh, and they moved to the area and lived there for about a similar time period, seven, eight years, uh, about the same time period that the latter-day saints were headquartered there. And they tried to make it their their headquarters, their communal society. They, they fell apart um, during due, due to some conflict with leadership and and differing views on their tradition. but but uh, a number of their followers stayed in Nauvoo. So there is a French element to Nauvoo, a French communal society that that uh, still is an important part of the local story. Shortly after them, uh, this is true across other parts of the Midwest as well, there was a, a large immigration of German uh, settlers uh, that were uh, moving to, as farmers largely to the Midwest. Uh, they came as, as farmers, as, as um Vinters, so they they created the, the the grape industry that exists still today in Nauvoo. There's a, a, a long-standing uh, uh, Baxter's uh, uh, winery that uh, that has been there for for decades in Nauvoo, and uh, and this this German element um, coupled with the French element um, has largely formed what Nauvoo became uh, in the early 20th century. Nauvoo was there are some accounts that say it was the most German-speaking town in all of uh, Illinois. Um, you could attend worship services in the local uh, congregations there in German. Um, they spoke German in the schools. And, and so Nauvoo had a, had a German town and flavor to it that still perpetuates in Nauvoo today. If you, if you go to Nauvoo and, and you look at in a phone book or you look at some of the names of business owners or, or prominent citizens in town – you'll recognize uh, German last names. And uh, at the same time, Nauvoo religiously became heavily Catholic. Part of that was the German immigration. Part of that also was a a Catholic school that was erected there. Um, A group of Catholic sisters known as the Sisters of St. Benedict um, set up a school there, uh, St. Mary's Academy, which operated for almost 100 years uh, in Nauvoo right across the street from where the, the Nauvoo temple was located. They, they, they acquired some of the uh, vacated uh, Latter-day Saint buildings. They acquired some of the, the building materials that had been left behind from, from other buildings and, and develop and develop this, this uh, boarding school for, for Catholic girls. And, uh, and, and so in the 20th century, Nauvoo was, in addition to Latter-day Saints who were interested in this story, there were, uh, French communalists. There's a, a story of German uh, immigrants in agriculture and and the wine industry and, and the blue cheese industry that also developed in the area. Um, a Catholic school and and so when the Latter Day Saints start to return, um, the residents of Nauvoo were were generally welcoming. They uh, they were excited about as as many communities might be. They were excited about the prospects for economic development, uh, as, as one might imagine, potentially hundreds of thousands of visitors coming to your town every, every summer. Um, certainly shopkeepers on Main Street and Mulholland and, and, uh, and uh, hotel owners and, and, and the gas station owners and restaurants uh, were, were excited. Um, but they were also nervous. Uh, and, and so while some benefited, others saw that this was changing their town. That their town was becoming almost a, a, uh, and I talk about this in the book, it was becoming uh, uh, only known for the Latter-day Saint period. So most of these visitors only wanted to come and see Nauvoo as it was from 1839 to 1846. And, and the local residents found that that people weren't as interested in, in the Icarian story, in the German story, in the Catholic boarding boarding school story in the story of rural midwestern life and and so their town's identity was being being taken away and, uh, and 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 so that caused tension while some were benefiting economically others felt like they were losing control of their hometown um, and and that had some significant economic impacts on the community uh, property taxes go up and and uh, as, as property values escalate and, and sometimes people were unable to to purchase homes for their children or children were able to purchase homes in the town they grew up in because they're now vying with outside buyers with people who are trying to, to turn Nauvoo into something else. And, uh, and so that, that caused some tensions that, that I think sometimes still linger in Nauvoo today. Um, my book uh, quotes a, a scholar of, of uh, tourism studies uh, who, who um, argues that, that tourism is a devil's bargain. And uh, and, I, and I love that imagery. I like that that idea because I'm writing about a religious project, and yet he uses a religious term. That, that tourism is a de- is a devil's bargain. Um, it brings with it certain elements beneficial to a community, but there's also elements that it brings that that change a uh, change a community for in ways that they didn't always envision. And and I think that's definitely happened in Nauvoo. Nauvoo, in some ways, becomes almost a a stage where a play is enacted. The Latter-day Saint story, the Latter-day Saint play is enacted every summer Um, from May until the end of August. um, Nauvoo transforms itself into 1840s Latter-day Saint Nauvoo. And then it shifts back Um, right about Labor Day. um, It shifts back into being the local local townspeople's pe- Nauvoo and it stays that way in the winter. And then every spring it puts back on its Latter-day Saint clothing and becomes a pioneer Latter-day Saint town with, with costumed visitors walking up and down, costumed, uh, interpreters in the homes. And, and I, I joked about it earlier, people like my own children wearing pioneer bonnets and, and coonskin caps, walking out, walking down, um, Mulholland street, the main town, main street in town. Uh, and so it's it's just a fascinating way that this town navigates its identity throughout the year.
0: Wow. this is brilliant stuff, Scott. Yeah, it just kind of goes to show you that we you know, we often think of Nauvoo as a sacred space for the Utah Church, but as your book really points out, it was sacred space for several people.
1: It is. And and, and you could imagine if if you're from a small town and I like I guess I lived in the in the Midwest, I lived in Ohio, after that, I moved out to Utah to a, a relatively smaller town, and uh, and you can imagine how you might feel if if your town was was suddenly taken over by a an outside group um, that came in with with money to buy buildings and restore. it, how you might be excited about that, but then as your town's identity changes, how that might how that might challenge you. And and so I, I think people who who have watched this happen in their own towns can relate to the story of Nauvoo. And uh, we, we long for a past that, that uh, some ways we can't hold on to. And uh, people go back to Nauvoo hoping to recapture a past. And, uh, and, and there's this conflict over whose Nauvoo um, is the Nauvoo that should be told. Uh, a few years ago, while I was doing this project, uh, the Smithsonian Institution in Washington, D.C. had a traveling exhibit. Uh, they had a traveling uh, uh, project that they would travel the nation telling um, local stories and they developed an exhibit about Nauvoo um, that, that really explores this, this dynamic of whose Nauvoo should be celebrated. And oh. it was just much because they, they had the story that you and I are talking about the Latter-day Saints story, but then they also talk, told the stories of the Icarians and the, and the German immigrants and the Catholic story. And and it, and it explored the Smithsonian was exploring nationwide in, in stories like the one in Nauvoo how we decide whose story gets told and and that's that's a that's an ongoing question in in i i research now generally uh, heritage studies and tourism studies and and pilgrimage and and religious tourism and and uh, whose story gets told is a, is an interesting one in that discipline
0: wow yeah these are heavy interactions that all these groups are are dealing with in the 20th century and that is is what you're talking about now so how, how did they start moving towards reconciliation? Because this is, like I was saying, this is heavy stuff. I mean, this is, and this is very personal stuff. And people's feelings are getting hurt. There is, there is somewhat of a, a battle going on. But like you had said, it, you, nowadays you don't really see it. It's th- things seem to be very friendly and very open. So how did, how did all these groups start moving in that trajectory?
1: I think the first groups to move in that trajectory were the were the the churches, and and maybe that's a, a good thing. Um, I think the churches led out in this regard. Um, the the as I mentioned, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints and the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints now Community of Christ. Those two faiths, I think, for, first caused the reconciliation. Um, I, I wonder to a certain degree if 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 that reconciliation really is complete with the local residents of Nauvoo, I I, mm-hmm. I, I think on the surface level, there's the, the groups get along really well, but every so often the tensions flare up again, not, not usually between Latter-day Saints, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the community of Christ, but sometimes with the community. Um, I mentioned that they rebuilt at the very beginning of our discussion. I mentioned we rebuilt the temple in Nauvoo, which was, the biggest project in the restoration, a, a multi-million dollar project. And, and this uh, elicited really interesting uh, responses by the community in the early 2000s. Um, feelings, uh, positive feelings about what it might do for their town, but also um, really strong worries about how it might forever change their town. And, uh, and, and some were willing to talk about it. Um, I've talked, I've, I've gotten to know people in town and And uh, some open up to me. Others, I think, understandably, uh, I think they know that I'm from one of the faith traditions, and so I I sometimes wonder: um, Do I get one story told to me, and is there a different story that's percolating below the surface? Or or, what? What do local residents talk about when they know they're only talking to other local residents? Uh, So, so in a place like the local cafe. Um, when, when visitors aren't there, when someone like me isn't there. Um, and I don't know. I, 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 think, uh, I think many people in town are welcoming of, of the tourism. This is also, sadly, the, the story of, of the death of rural America. Um, and so rural towns like this, like Nauvoo, are, uh, many of them are struggling economically. And uh, you drive in other places in, in Illinois, western Illinois, or other places across the state, towns this size with with shuttered uh, businesses you know, on their main streets and and just difficult economic um situations and and so in some ways nauvoo has been dealt a a really beneficial hand and uh but in other ways it's changed their town uh, an interesting one an example that i explore a little bit in, in some recent writing i've been doing but but uh the return of the temple and the the development of the city in the last seven or eight years um, has caused um, outside individuals to purchase um, property in town. So this isn't people; these aren't people purchasing property on behalf of the church. Um, this is these are people like like you see in other places that are developing vacation rentals, so uh, um, Airbnb or other things like that. Uh, that are that are buying up homes and and then renting them out in the summers, or maybe coming and staying themselves for a few weeks and renting them out or whatever, uh, but but that changes the makeup of a town, when uh, when homes that used to be op- occupied by families with young children are now occupied by by vacation rentals, um, or maybe senior families, couples that are have moved there to to serve in in our in our building, in our temple. Um, well, that changes the dynamic of a town when, when young families no longer live in the town. And uh, the elementary school, for a variety of reasons, n- needed some major renovation, major reconstruction. or uh, it, was, it was quite old. And, and uh, eventually they, they had to shutter the elementary school and they've consolidated and moved in with the, the middle school and the junior high and uh, a consolidation of schools with other towns because of the changing demographic of the community. Um, and, and 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 so what does that do to a town when when uh, outside people, people from hundreds of miles, if not thousands of miles away, purchase properties and turn them into vacation homes or second residences or vacation rentals? And uh, how what does that do to the soul of a town? And uh, that's where I get in the title of the book, this contest for the soul of Nauvoo. So I, I I think the church let led out, and and I, I do believe back to where we started. My friend who was there uh, working with public affairs during the during the rebuild of the temple. I think both faith traditions and and local residents were trying to make the best of it. Uh, they're trying to to uh, to to I think they all want the best for the town, but uh, but um, I, I do think there's there's room to grow room to go still i think there's uh, areas for improvement um uh because of the ways that that tourism affects a town um so so it, it's tough to have a seasonal business to have a seasonal industry um that really does well for three months and then is slow for nine months and, and mm. so gas stations close in town convenience stores close in town the grocery store closes in town um, because it's just hard to make a go out of a business like that when you're only really operating in a three-month heyday. And so that that impacts local residents. And again, the local residents have been very kind to me. I, I have many good friends there. But but I do wonder sometimes, uh, um, are they as pleased with how this has turned out as, as those from outside the community are pleased to have it turn out?
0: Wow, this is so interesting, Scott. I mean, your book I, I I have to say your book is kind of like a reconciliation of all these tensions and all these discussions, and it's it's beautiful how you've just been able to bring all these stories together to kind of tell this what you were talking about this very much untold story. I know you said the Smithsonian touched on it, but your book really dives deep into it to kind of. Give it this whole new life and beauty to it. And for all, if that, if this doesn't whet the appetites of the listeners, I just have to say this book won two major awards. It won the best book award from the John Whitmer Historical Association, which is kind of an outgrowth of the Reorganized Church or the Community of Christ, and it also won the Harvey B. and Susan Easton Black Outstanding Publication Award for academic scholarship in church history and doctrine. From religious education at Brigham Young University. So both sides, the community of Christ and the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, both historical groups on both sides acknowledge that this book tells a really good story and they, they, they see great value in it. So everything you've been saying, Scott has been absolutely fascinating. So I really appreciate you coming on to tell us this really interesting story, or even just to give us a, a little snippets of what your book is actually about.
1: Well, thank you. I, I, I made a lot of good friends in the project, uh, people from both sides, uh, um, people from my own faith tradition up in our, our church archives, uh, uh, those who from our faith tradition direct our historic sites. Um, and then the archivists in the community of Christ archives, uh, uh they're just so generous that the site directors for community of Christ there have become dear friends, uh, residents in town have been uh, very generous with their perspectives, with their ideas, with their thoughts. And, 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 and again, this is their town and, and I hope I was fair to them. I, my worry uh, and as a, as a historian was, um, could I tell this story accurately, appropriately, faithfully, um, but also be true to all the various sides. Uh, I, I, I certainly of course come from one of the traditions, um, uh, and I'm and, and I'm employed by that same tradition, but uh, but I wanted to make sure that that I was fair to these other people who had also become dear friends of mine in the project, and I I was I'm grateful that that both sides seem to have found value in it. Um, I, I I do hope the local town feels value in it as well.
0: Absolutely. So before I let you go, Scott, what are you working on now, and what can we expect to learn from you in the f- near future?
1: Oh, I. Uh, I, I fallen in love with the development of historic sites. So, uh, again, Nauvoo is a, is a fun one to tell the story of because it's, it's our, for a Latter-day Saint tradition, it's the most visited of our historic sites beyond our church headquarters and, 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 that's Salt Lake city. But, but, uh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm exploring now other historic sites. I, I have an article coming out, uh, early next year on, uh, on, uh, something called uh, dark tourism, which is the, uh, um, places of, uh, places of suffering, loss, death, tragedy. And I explore Carthage jail, which is a, a community about 20 miles from Nauvoo where, where Joseph Smith was killed. I explore Carthage as a dark tourism site. Um, I'm looking now at, and, and other dark tourism sites, the, the whole genre isn't just a religious genre, genre, dark tourism sites would be things like the nine 11 Memorial, uh, Holocaust memorials, uh, um, some of them are religious, some aren't. Uh, but but I'm so I'm looking at dark tourism. I'm looking at tourism and religious studies and pilgrimage generally. Um, I, I'm intrigued with Kirtland. Again, this was the town that was two hours from my my hometown growing up. Um, I, I'd like to do a comparative study uh, between uh, Nauvoo, which is uh, a rural uh, religious tourism site, a pilgrimage site, and Kirtland or Palmyra, either of which are um, are uh, metropolitan kind of suburban uh, religious tourism sites and I, I'm intrigued um, from the point of view of local residents uh, um, what similarities and what differences exist when when the town being developed is a rural one as opposed to a suburban one um, so Kirtland is a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio and Palmyra is a suburb of Rochester Nauvoo really isn't a suburb of anywhere um, it's, it's a good uh, it, it, it's, it's not easy to get to and then so when you develop pilgrimage in a, in a place like that, uh, it certainly impacts the community more than it might in a, in a bedroom community to a larger larger area like Cleveland. So I'm looking at other historic sites. Uh, I'm looking at uh, international religious tourism. Uh, I, I'm fascinated with the concepts of contested sacred space. Uh, Nauvoo being a place of contested sacred space. and during the project, I was lucky enough to, uh, to live and teach with my family. Um, in in Jerusalem in, in the Holy Land and that's obviously the kind of the the crown jewel of contested sacred space mm. and so I'm intrigued on on at a large at larger scale and on at bigger issues of contested sacred space among many religions not just the the movements that have outgrown the Church of Jesus Christ of latter-day Saints so I think there's a lot to be done. Um, I think uh, visitors to our sites generally expect, to be told what life was like there in the 1830s or 1840s. Um, but rarely do they get told how the sites were developed in the 20th century and how the town feels about that development. And, and, and so how we've come back to all of these sites, um, there's, there's lots of stories to tell, and I, and I look forward to doing that.
0: Awesome. Well, Scott, definitely look forward to seeing those studies coming out from you. And just again, thank you so much for being on the show. Again, uh, Scott's wonderful book is called Return to the City of Joseph, Modern Mormonism's Contest for the Soul of Nauvoo. It's published by the University of Illinois Press, won two major awards. So it's definitely something you want to get. Scott, uh, thanks so much for being on. We really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great one. Thank
1: you, Daniel. It's good to visit with you. Thank you.